Imagine being a Cuban baseball player, seeing that Major League Baseball supports Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter just endorsed the Cuban regime over your own people. It's podcast time. This is, we've reached peak bullshit. We just have. Today at the White House, or whenever it is, you know, you might be listening to this tomorrow, Jen Psaki announced that the White House has been flagging disinformation posts for Facebook to have removed. Now, let me tell you something. I'm so sick of this garbage that Facebook is a private company, and so they don't violate your First Amendment rights, especially on this issue, because you have taxpayer dollars going into researching people's free speech. It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong on their opinion. It's free speech. It's protected under the First Amendment, and taxpayer dollars, a government entity, is now going after that free speech. And they're telling, through a third party, someone else to act on their behalf and have that speech removed from public discourse. That is not constitutional. That is an absolute violation of the First Amendment. Just because you're doing it by proxy as the government doesn't mean that it's not a violation of the First Amendment. California did it during the 2020 election under the guise that it was protecting people from election disinformation. But they were uh, guided, by the way, by the same consulting firm that ran Joe Biden's campaign. It's probably the same people right now that got a a sweeter deal to uh, point out quote-unquote, COVID disinformation. What is COVID disinformation at this point? Because the World Health Organization has gone back on things. Fauci has gone back on things. The advice they've given, it's been flip-flop, back and forth. What is disinformation at this point? It's just something you don't agree with at the moment. There's not a lot of long-term science and scientific fact on this stuff. So what counts as what? That's my question. I do know this, right or wrong, your First Amendment and your free speech is protected at all times. And when a government entity, especially the highest power, the White House, is acting to stifle it, it is wrong. But is there anything else? I mean, would you expect better from anything? Would you expect better from anyone in that White House with what they're doing? No, of course not. Of course you wouldn't. I mean, it's just par for the course at this point. That's one of the topics I wanted to just cover quickly today. And by the way, I don't like going on and on. I see some of these podcasts where people stretch things. I, I want to get things done with because I have an important guest today, and we'll get to him in a second. The other thing I want to—I I think you should all be worried about, especially parents, is this concept in Washington, D.C. This was passed by the Liberal City Council in Washington, D.C. that 11-year-olds can consent— and receive the vaccine without their parents' consent, without medical consent or knowledge of their parents. Now, look, I don't care if you're pro or anti-vaccine. I don't. If you want to get it, get it. If you don't, don't. It's fine. That's not the issue here. The issue is consent of an 11-year-old and where a law like that can lead. Because if you can consent to medical treatment, in this case, the vaccine, you can consent to anything. These are people who, you have to remember, the Democrats for the longest time said the kids would smoke uh, cigarettes and be uh, negatively affected by Joe Camelads. These crappy camels that look like an old Smokey Joe, literally. Joe Camel. Influenced children to smoke cigarettes. They were that stupid. Their brains are that malleable. And now, 
Now they can make medical decisions for themselves. That is wrong. And the slippery slope, of course, goes into sexual decisions for themselves. And I wish that I, uh, I wish that, that would be labeled conspiracy now, but it's not. It's not. It's a concern. Always look at the slippery slope and where things can go. Consent for a medical, uh, medical service or medical treatment can slip into consent for anything else. Or the ability to vote at 11. Why not? I feel like Democrats will take votes from whoever they can get. Let's make it like a middle school election, huh? Those are the two issues that bother me today. That being said, something that doesn't bother me is meeting someone from the other side of the aisle who you can agree with, someone who you can be friendly with, someone who you might disagree with on some points, but at the end of the day, you realize that you can be friendly. One such person is Mike from Maryland. Now, I call him Mike from Maryland. He is the regular caller when I am filling in for David Webb on SiriusXM, and some other of the, uh, the hosts on the network have not treated him as kindly as I have, and I'm not sure why. He always calls in, and we disagree, and then by the end of it, we end up agreeing. And I think this is a great interview. I wanted to sit down with him for a, mo- a lot longer. Usually I can only talk to him for three minutes max. And this time I wanted to sit down and we covered all the issues he wanted to talk about. I really enjoyed it and I think you will too. Here's Mike from Maryland. So one of the interesting things that I've encountered uh, throughout the radio and it's filling in for David Webb and filling in across Sirius XM is that I have always said they have some of the smartest listeners in radio. And there's a gentleman who regularly calls in when I'm on air. And it always starts where he wants to argue a point with me. And it always ends seven to ten minutes later where we agree. So I, I, I couldn't do anything better than bring him on uh, my own podcast here. And I, I just want to have a conversation with him. His name is Mike. He's from Maryland. Uh, he's a Democrat. Leans a little bit towards the middle, I believe. I, I'll let him describe himself. But... I, I just wanted to talk more with him. And that's something that I don't ever see uh, a radio host or a fill-in radio host do. I'm not saying that I'm better than them. I am. But uh, I just, I had to have a real full conversation with this gentleman. So introducing some of you for the first time to this great man, Mike from Maryland. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Uh, Thanks for letting me on. No problem. Listen, argue with me. It's your floor. I want you to bring up the topic. It's always you calling in on my topic. You bring up the topic. Let's do this. Sure. What I've recently been thinking about, how can we be one? We talk about Martin Luther King's uh, quote, the content of character and not the color of our skin. But then we go and call each other white Americans, black Americans, And I'm saying, let's do away with the names. We are Americans. We're not white Americans. We're not black Americans. We're just Americans. And I just believe that if we were to just call ourselves white America, I mean, uh, Americans, I believe in the next two to three generations, we won't have as much tension related to race as well as related to uh, party affiliations. Well, so I'm going to say, so I I agree with this premise. I think you're right. But don't you think that the division pays a lot of bills? And so on both sides, 
and and so the the concept of getting rid of of the labels like that just aren't it's not going to go anywhere and then not only does it pay bills on both sides for democrats and republicans but then you have a lot of scientists and social scientists and stuff who want to want to keep things separate and those statistics are always going to be out there from both sides and there's always going to be somebody who wants to capitalize on it and i almost feel like the money's going to outrule or overrule the the logic that you present with that but you may be very well correct and so if that is the case, that no one else wants to budge, then we're just playing games and people are getting paid at the expense of the uh, American public. Basically, we're just pawns while other people are making money. Yes. But my thing is. <laughs> yes. That's, so hold on, Mike. That's why we get along, because that's I think that's what it is. And some people, they get upset about what other people are doing and they might not deserve it and all of those things. Um, and that might be very well true. I just stand by to what I'm saying. If we are going to use uh, MLK's quote of the content of your character instead of the color of your skin, why are we identifying ourselves based on skin color? To my yeah. knowledge, nowhere else um, is that done? I asked a friend, a Jamaican friend, what do you call a white person born in Jamaica? Now, you have Jamaican people out there. Maybe they can, can't confirm this. They call themselves Jamaicans. I said, what about an Asian? Jamaican? Looked at me like I was crazy. I said, so you mean to tell me everyone who was born in Jamaica, they are only called Jamaican? Said, yes. Look to me like, I mean, can I make it any more simpler than that? Uh, I, I mean, I, I you come to think of it, you never hear of what are you, run, me. running okay, by the train see. station. Uh, but then everybody but, know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's interesting because do you, I mean, the only white Russian I hear of is a drink. Uh, is there, <laughs> but but are there any other countries that do that? And I'm not sure that – are there like African Canadians or – I've never heard of that. Or or I think you've got a really good point with that. And nobody pays attention to it. Is that something that's unique to America? I, I, think, I think you're right. Well, I did my research on this. I think the term white came about innocently, a, a, a play – where the first time the term white was used was to distinguish this African from everyone else. It was not used to be derogatory, but I think it has eventually evolved to make a distinction. And it might be slavery where they wanted to distinguish ourselves or themselves from us, but we are beyond that. We should all be considered Americans. And I'm just wondering how many people, if there were a survey, how many people would prefer to just be one? I mean, I might be shocked and a whole number of people, the majority of people would say, yes, let's drop white and black and any, any other name. They talk about not using African-American of how divisive that is. Well, my thing is, how much more divisive can we get by calling 
each other, white and black. You can't get much more divisive than that, period. I agree with you. What do you think of this concept, by the way? So uh, this concept now that the far left, and I know you don't, you don't identify as that, but the far left has been using where they say that all white people are born racist. They're all inherently racist. Well, obviously, you know that I don't believe that. But I believe that there's some truth to some people that feel that they are empowered uh, by the whiteness. There was a survey that was done years ago, and they asked uh, a number of white people how much would they want to get paid to be black. And some wouldn't, uh, there was no money in the world for them to uh, be black. And I don't know if that's an overall um, premise of most white people, but I'm looking at most white people and I don't think that that would be the case, but I just believe that things have become so um, extreme that we need to find a way for us to come back together or at least come together, especially in this uh, time of so many people going to, to the corners. Yeah. I just don't understand. Well, I do understand it's the media that does it, but I'm, I like to think that I'm a little bit different of a voice when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it's having conversations like this, that uh, brings people back together. Because the thing is, I think most of the people in the middle of the country and the most of the people in everyday life, have you, have you met in modern times? Like, and I'm talking last, let's say since 1990, 1995, have you met a racist? Have you been discriminated against? Mm, to be honest with you, I don't know. And I'm not just saying that just because I'm talking to you. Um, have I been treated unfairly? Yes. Um, would I consider that being racist? No. Have I ever been denied an opportunity that um, determined my livelihood? I don't believe so. Now, am I going to say that there's no uh, racism and uh, racist people? No, I'm not uh, saying that. But what I am saying, it has not affected my livelihood. It hasn't affected the people in my um, circle, my family, my friends. Um, you work hard and you get rewarded for it. Yeah. Does that happen to everyone? No. Some people, they're going to have to work even harder to get what they're trying to achieve. So you're never going to be absolute on anything. Um, but uh, no, to answer your question, no. Yeah. I, so ironically, I, uh, I have. <laughs> I've been denied jobs because I was told I, I was not a minority of any kind. Um, but so I, I want to I'm going to bring up a topic that uh, I, I think you're going to agree with me on. I don't know that we've discussed this on air before, but it's something that I talk about in my book. So if you're conservative and you're listening to this, hold on to something and let me explain it. And I think you'll understand it. I believe in systemic racism, but in a very specific case, uh, there is when. So growing up in Baltimore, you see this. Um when you say that there's a bad part of town, why is it a bad part of town? Well, there's a lot more crime in that part of town. 
well, why is there a lot more crime in that part of town? Well, that's because the cops go there more and they report more of that crime in that part of town. How did it get to that point? It got to that point because of policies, of course, from the city and not being able to lift everyone up and not giving everybody the same opportunities. And a lot of times, the bad part of town, a lot of times, almost every time, that part of town is uh, African-American populated. That system is damn near impossible to break. There's more police in that area. There's more poverty in that area. And the policies of a lot of major cities don't help lift those people up and, and help that area. Don't make sure that the kids are in school. Don't make sure that families are you know, fed and get their basic needs taken care of so that they can lift themselves out of that. And I think that's where the systemic racism comes into is that the system has failed a part of town and there's this cycle that's almost impossible to break. Um, and, and a lot of people, it's, I don't think that that's arguable for like conservatives who are listening, but when I hear systemic racism, most of the time it comes from somebody who is a millionaire or somebody who's at Duke university or Yale or Harvard. But when you grow up in an actual city and you see this and you realize where the system is and how those systems have been established. And a lot of times it was Democrats who put those systems in. That's why I have to take that jab there, but it's, it's damn near impossible to break. What do you think about that? Well, let me just say this. It's interesting that conservatives talk about cities. Democrats talk about states. And so for the most part, if you give me a bad city, but if you look at the states, they might be up on the top 10 of most educated states. A lot of people that will use Newark, New Jersey because of its demographics. But if you look at New Jersey in and of itself, it's more educated than Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi, and some other southern states. So it's just the way we try to um, bend things. Um, But going to your your question in regards to those areas, there's a lot of issues going on. Uh, uh, High unemployment, a lot who are unemployable because they don't have the skill sets. And it's gonna get even worse as we move further and further with the technology. Or what's worse, honestly, Mike, uh, is, uh, you know, when people have been convicted of a minor crime when they're younger. And or or a crime that that prevents them from uh, being able to rehabilitate themselves and prevents them from being able to reenter the workforce. What options do they have? I I, I used to work with kids at uh, University of Baltimore Law um, that were got out of juvie and they knew selling drugs because they were uh, off of North Avenue. I don't know how well you know the city, but they were off of North Avenue there in Baltimore. And when they came out, they couldn't get a job. They went right back into the poverty that they left. And the only options they had to provide for their family were to go back into selling drugs, which is what they were put in for originally. I, I left that part out. Um, to me, you know, to a lot of people who don't understand, uh, they don't get it. But to me, when you take a look at the options, what are you going to starve to death? What are your options here to take care of your family? You, there's These kids are unemployable anywhere else. They don't have a father or a mother. And they're the breadwinners for the family. And in a lot of very, a lot of crazy instances, Baltimore has like third world country type scenarios. Same with Alabama. If you want to balance it out, 
You know, you got like meth heads in Alabama and druggies in Alabama too. You got white people out in the sticks that have the same kind of levels of poverty, but I'm just using Baltimore because it's closer to us. Um, but I don't think people understand that the, the ability to be able to rehabilitate oneself, uh, that, that has not been afforded to a lot of folks. Well, a lot of people want to blame the system, like the school system and so many other things. But a lot of these kids, they come to school unprepared. How are we going to deal with that is key. Because if those kids get to school and they are uh, reading remedial, and it takes years and years and years. All you're doing is just pushing them through the system and they have no other option to get into drugs. Now, this is the part that I'm very, very conservative with. I don't have any excuses. I'm not gonna make any excuses. I'm always getting beat up on because if there's a way or if there's a will, there's a way. I know that those areas are crime-ridden. I know that people will say it's not their fault, but I think there's a lot more opportunities today that if anyone wants to do better and get out of those situations, they can. Uh, you've gone there, you've done work. I'm pretty sure there should be a lot more mentors in those areas. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. But I look at so many other people who have been able to work their way up out of those crime-ridden areas. I know people who have done it. So is, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. But I think that if we come together, whether it's local politicians, both Democrats and Republicans, uh, state, federal, we need to find a way to work together to make this a better uh, place, especially in those uh, crime-ridden uh, areas. Uh, otherwise, we're going to lose additional generations. Yeah, well, and that's that's the thing, you know. When um, and and to stick with Baltimore because I know it very very well. Um, I believe it's forty percent of all students are truant every day from school. Um, and there's just no, there's no family, there's no mentorship, you know, where, where there's lack in family, there's a lack of mentorship and there's a lack of uh, adults to look up to. And a lot of times these kids find the wrong influences along the way. And I, I think you're right about that. I agree with you a thousand percent on, on finding mentors and, and being able to work together with this stuff. Um, now, can I just add one thing? Sure. Of course. Uh, growing up, I don't believe we're any different or. I'm any different than these kids today. To me, the difference was the fact that we had things to do. We had rec centers. Uh, we had basketball courts for those who were playing basketball all over the DC area. We were so busy doing things productive that it wasn't an idle mind. Yeah. We look forward to doing certain things. You have these kids, some schools that were ranked great in basketball and football, they can hardly fill a team. The high school that I went to, 
I think we were pretty good. Last year, I went to go see them. They didn't have uniforms. They can barely have uh, an offense and a defense. And I was kind of sad. There was no participation for the most part. Uh, You had some schools in D.C. They couldn't have filled a basketball team. That would have been unheard of, you know, 30, 40 years ago when I was in high school. Uh, So my thing is we need to get these kids a lot more active. I could never understand why they took rec centers away. We had intramural uh, basketball teams. Even in junior high schools, we played um, basketball against other uh, schools. Why was that taken away? Would that be a solution? I don't know. I just know that I grew up with a lot of activities. And these kids nowadays, they don't have these activities. And I would love, if nothing else, bring back these activities and see if it makes uh, an impact. I think I don't know how it would not. I mean, that's that's, you know, I, I used to go to a rec center when I was a kid. I mean, you know, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but, you know, I grew up in southwest Baltimore. So like I uh, we we were the white family. Um, so like it's kind of a, a, a interesting dichotomy with my experience with stuff and then being uh, going to law school there and going to college there and just saw a lot of stuff. I agree with you, man. You got to keep kids busy. And, and that would also provide the potential for more mentors in these kids lives, uh, you know, a chance for them to have, uh, you know, more positive adults um, and just have something to do. Cause you're right. Like if you got nothing to do and you're in a, uh, in you're in a town like that, there's, you can get into a lot of trouble real quick and lose focus real quick. So I'm, I'm with you a thousand percent on all this stuff, man. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know where usually I have people plug stuff at the end of these uh, interviews when I talk to them, but I just like you, Mike, man, I'll tell you what. So here's the deal. We pre-recorded this, uh, but I'm going to be talking to you. I'm sure I'll talk to you on air tomorrow or Friday when I'm filling in for Dave Webb. And then I'll tell people to come and have this full uh, conversation with us because I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm so glad we got to talk today. Well, I greatly appreciate it. And it's these type of conversations uh, across the aisle. We can agree to disagree. And like you said, I can call in and say he's wrong. I disagree. And then when we get finished talking, most likely we agree. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, uh, my, you know, what my big problem is with you is you always call in near the uh, end of the hour or, or it's always my fault for taking you by the end of the hour. And I got to cut you off before I throw to a commercial break every time. And we get on these good rolls and it's like, wait, I got 30 seconds left and I don't want to like hard cut you off. But it's, I always feel like it's like a slap in a, a good caller's face when they call in for this. But, you know, man, honestly, I, I don't consider you a caller. I consider you uh, a, a, a great mind and, and someone who could be a great friend. And so... Uh, I really thank you for coming out and uh, being on the show today. Sure. And maybe we can have our own beer summit. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's going to be bourbon. It's going to be really good. We're going to get super loaded. Start yelling at all the kids around. Me and you are going to sit somewhere and just start yelling at all the loud kids. (laughs) Well, we have that in common. All right, man. I will uh, talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. That was Mike from Maryland, and I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope he did, too. He's a good guy. And I really, you know, I, I... wanted to highlight him more than what we normally do on the show. I think that he's got a lot to say and he's got a great perspective to bring to conversations, whether or not you agree with him or not. At the end of the day, we're still friends. 
That's been it for the No Things Considered podcast. If you like it, like, like, subscribe, and share. I'm not re-recording that. We're just going to let it be a garbled mess. You deal with that. Like, subscribe. Oh, my God. Like, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening to No Things Considered. See you next time.